We really did have a great program last night, and, it, and I wish more of you could have been there. We had uh, right about 100 people there, and that was fantastic. A lot of visitors uh, that came to the program. Young people did a fantastic job, and uh, Miss Susan headed up the food, and it was, it was fabulous. It just Everything was really, really good. Um, I enjoyed the dessert so much that I ate part of it and then later on forgot that I set it down and I sat in it. And uh, it was, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, Ms. Rogers came over to me and she kept poking me and I'm like, and I was so tired, I wouldn't, I wouldn't react into anybody. And she, finally I said, you know, it's like, what is it? She said, you're sitting on a piece of pie. <laughs> and I went, what? And I got up and it was just <laughs> smushed. <laughs> And um, it looked really nice there all down the back of my, uh, my tuxedo, so praise the Lord. But we just absolutely had a great time. Uh, I was amazed. We had about five or six people that, that actually picked both murderers, and, uh, and hopefully were surprised. The kids were surprised because they, you got to know this one. Got this. Where's Joshua? Is Joshua in here? Where are you, Josh? Josh, can you come here, Josh. Come here. Come here. Josh was Jimmy Grimes last night. He was in every scene somehow, somewhere. Come here, Josh. And so uh, at the last, see, we didn't tell the kids who was going to die. And so we just told Josh he had to go behind the, the screen. So uh, I went back there when everything else was going on. I went back there. He's just sitting back there. He said, what am I supposed to do? And I looked at him and I said, you're going to die. <laughs> His eyes got about this big, and he goes, what? <laughs> and so I took the big sword and stuck it between his arms and carried him out. And he, was, he, was, he did a great job, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I wish you could have seen his face when my answer to him, he said, what am I supposed to do? Die. <laughs> 
And it was really good. It was a great time. We had a good time. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, we were in this in Sunday school class and kind of began a study there in Proverbs. Just kind of finished, uh, I don't know how many weeks we were on Genesis, went through the people of Genesis and then the events of Genesis. And so uh, now we're in uh, Proverbs and just beginning there foundationally with Proverbs chapter 1. But but the uh, Lord just kind of directed me to a message I preached a long time ago. I'll be honest with you before I even get started. It's not an easy message for me to preach. But I'm going to preach it today, and uh, I just, just believe the Lord directed me this way. I wrote Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. So it's very, very important here that in the, in the very beginning, it says a wise man will hear. And, and uh, you know, the, the truth is people come to church for various different reasons. But, but if we're going to learn and if we're going to grow, if we're going to learn and grow in wisdom, we got to hear what the Word of God says. And some, you know, over and over the scripture says, let him that have an ear, let him hear. It means that everybody has an ear, or at least most everybody does, has an ear on their head. Uh, he wasn't saying that. He was saying, are you really listening? Are you really letting it come in? Uh, or have you put up walls and are you just saying, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to pay attention. I don't want uh, anything that you got to give me. Uh, God says, let a wise man will hear. He'll decide to hear. And, and he will increase in learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. And again, he said, and if you really want to learn, not only will you hear the word of God and learn, but you'll learn from wise men around you who have learned from experience and from the word of God. Now you go to verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, wisdom crieth without she uttereth her voice in the streets. So wisdom's out there, and wisdom is, is wisdom. God doesn't hold back wisdom. He wants people to have wisdom. We've seen it in James. He wants to give us wisdom. So much so, wisdom, it says, the scripture says, is crying out. Wisdom is saying, will you hear me? I'm here for you. Will you hear me? And he says uh, in verse 20, wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words. Now, in the openings of the gates, that's the place of authority. So wisdom's trying to be there in the places of authority. It seems like wisdom's not there much any, anymore in our places of authority. But he, he says that's where wisdom, wisdom's there. He, cry, he cries in a chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city, to everyone else, all around. She uttereth her words, saying, listen to this now, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Look what it says. It says, it says, you look, wisdom saying, how much longer are you going to stay in this simplistic state without wisdom? He says, how long will you scorners just keep delighting in your scorning and your criticism and attack? How long, you fools, will you continue to hate the knowledge that is present for you? 
How long? How long? Then he says this, verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you. I love finding promises in the word of God, and this is an incredible promise. This is an amazing promise that God gives in his word. And I know there's a, a, a lot said about the promises of the word of God, but this to me is a promise. And, and promises have a requirement. Almost always a promise in the Bible has some requirement that must be fulfilled in order for you to see that promise fulfilled. But here's the promise. He said, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Listen, that, that is, that is, that's what every man in this room ought to desire, to have the Spirit of God poured out upon him as a, as a father, as a husband. Uh, this is what the, 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 the Spirit of God to be poured out as a leader, as a, the Spirit of God. You'll, you'll know, and I'm going to stop here in just a moment, this introductory to pray, but you'll, you know my prayer over and over is that Holy Spirit of God, fill me that you might speak through me. God promises to pour out his spirit to us. Not I drop his spirit to us, but to pour out his spirit to us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, we need you. Mighty God, I pray, please, Spirit of God, I pray that you would open hearts this morning. Dear God, I pray that some that, whose hearts are hardened would be softened. Father, I pray that you give divine wisdom even now. Spirit of God, I need you so desperately to speak through me for I can do nothing of myself. I need your presence, your power. I ask you to cleanse me, to fill me, to use me, to speak to people today. And dear God, Holy Spirit of God, I ask you to build a mighty hedge of protection around this place and that you would move through this place and touch hearts and open minds and open ears. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. He said, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. It's been probably 20-something years ago now that, that I found this passage of Scripture, and it was during a, a very hard struggle in my life. But as I found this passage of Scripture shortly, and I'll tell this, more of the story later, but, but a man came to me sometime afterward. I preached several messages uh, after that period of time where God had begun to teach me something of what I'm going to try to teach today. And he came to me and he just walked up and he said, Bob, what's happened to your preaching? And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? He said, it's different. He said, God is doing something with you and with your life. It's different. And, and I looked at him and I couldn't answer except to say, I said, I said, all I can tell you, it seems like God has opened up his word in such a way that it, that it makes me feel like it, it's something that's never been seen before, and he makes me believe people have never seen it before. So I get excited about giving it because I feel like, God, this is such a vital truth that you've given me.
And that's what the scripture says. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. See, this book is spiritually written and it's spiritually understood. And God says, I'll pour out my spirit unto you. Well, if it's spiritually written and it's spiritually understood, then watch this. When he pours out his spirit unto us, then we start, he makes known his word unto us. And it's no more just words. It's it's life-changing truths. It's things that begin to permeate us. Clearly, this promise is incredible, but there's a requirement to the promise. But in this promise, there's just one requirement. One requirement. Turn ye at my reproof. See, turn by definition means to retreat, which has the connotation that you're fighting against something or someone, and now you retreat from that fight. And what should instigate this retreat that we we turn from? What instigates this retreat is God's reproof. Now, what I want to do is I want to just look at three words real quickly. But if you look at verse 3, it says to receive the instruction of wisdom. To receive the instruction of wisdom. Verse 23, we just saw, it says this word reproof. So there's three words I just want to define for you. It's receive, instruction, and reproof. First of all, the, re, the word reproof is a, a word for correction. It's, a, it's a, not a strong word for correction. The truth is when you study, do a little word study on it, what you'll find out it's, it's more like a, a, a verbal correction. The truth is, is the word of God is a reproof to us. It's verbal correction. It's sometimes when we as a parent go to a child and we say to them, you you need to stop doing that. You need to sit up straight and look at me. You need to look at me in the eyes. That's, That's verbal reproof. Instruction is a stronger word. Instructor, we get the, uh, you know, the word instruction, we get the word instructor, a teacher. And so a teacher in reality is somebody who corrects every day because that's what they're doing. They're teaching and there's no need for a teacher if everybody knows everything already. So they're, obviously they're correcting them, they're teaching them, they're training them in a, and by a series, daily series of corrections. And so uh, that's what it is. But it's a stronger word. This word, when you study it out, it has more of an implication of physical correction. And what I call it is, uh, you know, the way I term it, the way God has it, I think it's mama correction and daddy correction. Mama says, don't do that again. I told you not to do that again. This is the last time I'm going to tell you not to do that again. Did you understand, Mama, when you say that, a kid's going, well, great. It's the last time she's going to tell me. (laughs) Mama says, stop doing that. I'm telling you. Now, wait a minute. Let me help you, Mama. The only words that really count are, I'm going to tell your daddy. Now, that changes life because that's daddy correction. Daddy correction, and I have my daddy here. It brings back a lot of good memories. The um, daddy correction is they may not say a word because mama's already told you to stop this 17 times. 
So daddy's not going to say anything. He's just going to go rip a tree down. He's going to rip that limb down and he's going to walk toward you and this is what you're going to hear. You know what that is? That's all the leaves coming off because he wants no wind resistance. And then he comes at you to torment your mind. He comes at you very slowly and peels it off, little twig by twig. He doesn't need to spank you. You've already lost it all. And so... Then, is with my dad, then he would grab you by the, the arm, by the wrist, and say, thank you, Dad, the most stupid words that have ever been said, stand still. <laughs> now, you've got to know better than that. I'm not going to stand still. That's why you grab my arm. Because you know I'm not going to stand still. And that's when we start into that little process where he holds the arm and he starts singing, love lifted me. (laughs) And we go around in circles for a while. It's mama correction and daddy correction. But here's the key word, the word receive. God says to receive the instruction, to receive it. Throughout Proverbs, he'll tell us to receive reproof. Now, I've, I've done this all over. I'll say, you know, what does it mean to receive? And people will almost always, they'll say, accept. Hey, Josh, come back here a second. How old are you, Josh? 12 years old. Now look, if Josh was my boy, I'd shoot myself. No, if if Josh was my boy and I told him I was going to spank him, even in this world, I still believe it. If I told him I was going to spank him, now does he have to accept that? Now he can look at me and go, no way, man. But let me help you, it's not going to work because you're going down, okay? (laughs) Look, I think probably I'm going to be able to do what I need to do anyway, whether he accepts it or not. So God's not looking at us and saying, I'm going to come correct you. You didn't listen to me. So now I'm coming with physical correction. He's not saying accept it because we don't really have any choice, do you? We don't because God's a whole lot bigger than we are. And if he wants to bring correction in life, he's going to do it. He wants to bring correction in the life of of America, he's going to do it. He already has, but I mean... He's, he's doing right now what I call a, a kind of a passive correction. I think we're quickly moving into an active correction, but he's doing it right. He can do it. But again, when you study out the word, what you find out is that it doesn't mean to just accept something that you have no choice but to accept. 
No, it really means to choose. To choose. When God says receive, he's saying choose it. Choose correction. That's a hard thing, folks. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, you ought to want my spirit and my power and my understanding of my words so much that you would say, God, correct me. Because through your correction, if I turn from my way to your way through your correction, you will pour out your spirit unto me. You'll make known your words unto me. Folks, wouldn't that be something incredible? Right now, if we would just say, God, correct me. Do you know what? God would pour out his spirit. It's a promise. God would pour out his spirit if you'll choose that correction. But most of us don't like correction. Anybody here, you just enjoy it? I just want to see if we have any retarded people. There's nobody that enjoys correction. Now, I fought it probably worse than most because I had a great misunderstanding of this whole thing. I thought correction, uh, especially through athletics, and it it poured on into just my everyday life. And honestly, I caused my daddy a lot of grief because this is what I thought. I thought correction was a condemnation. I thought for a coach to tell me that I didn't play the play right was he was criticizing me. That he was condemning me. That's the way I saw correction. And and, and I'll be honest with you, because Daddy taught me to give 110% of everything I did, and that meant in practice, that meant in a game, that meant in everything that I did, that meant out in the field, that meant uh, out working at home. Anything that I did, I wanted to give it 110%. Now, if somebody came to me and said, it's not good enough, took it as a criticism because I can't give you anymore. I can't do anymore. I'm not like these guys that are going halfway through the, through the drills. I'm giving it everything I got, even in the drills. And so I took it as a criticism, a condemnation. And it followed me, and it followed me all the way into my, my life. It followed me as, as I went to Bible college. It followed me all through my life. It, it followed me, that concept. And I'll be honest with you now, here's, here's the thing. It, it sits idle so much of the time because when you give your very, very best in everything that you do, you don't get a lot of criticism. Correction. You don't get it much. So when it finally raises its head, you're blown out of the water. Usually with anger. I was shortly out of Bible college and running the military ministry when we started having a lot of battles in the military ministry that I was running and and we'd been so productive and we'd gone night and day and my wife... uh, uh, you've seen a little bit of the, uh, the way she'll work and go. And, man, we took 
guys to our house and uh, thousands of them. We've had over 3,000 stay in our house and, and, and hot butter biscuits and gravy and, and meals and, and all the things they do and the work. And we were working so hard. And all of a sudden, we started running into some problems where the base didn't want uh, us to be there anymore and didn't want us to take guys with us anymore. And, and all of a sudden, uh, I was having so much trouble. So I went to my, my pastor and I said, I said, uh, uh, you know, I need some help because, man, we're just we're running into trouble, and, and I'm brand new at this. And he looked at me, and, and I was expecting some kind of, you know, a pat on the back, some kind of consolation or some kind of encouragement. And he looked at me, and he said, let me tell you what the problem is. He said, the problem is you don't have good PR. So we're having our conflict up here because I don't have good public relations. And man, it started in my toes and started working up. And I started getting angry. And then we crossed over because he said, you don't have good PR like, and he called the name of the fella that had it before me. The director of the ministry before me said, you don't have good PR like Larry did. Whoa! It's one thing to tell me I'm not doing good enough, but don't tell me somebody's better. Now, this is not the way to handle things, but I looked at it straight in the face and I said, hey, he was the one that left me with this problem. And man, that started. He said, I'm going to tell you, Bob, and I said, I'm going to tell you, and we're going to be the... He finally threw up his hands and said, hey, we're not going to talk about this anymore. And as soon as he did, you know what I saw? I saw myself at the kitchen table with my daddy saying, ain't no need to talk to you, boy. You know too much. Now, long story short, there's a lot of things that took place, but God started whipping the fire out of me. So much so, I wasn't listening verbally, so so much so, I believe with all my heart. I, my health crashed way back there, and, and I, ha, I went through something so horrible, and it lasted for about, well, it lasted a long time, several years, but it, it, was, it was just sapped everything that I had. And I know, I know to this day, it was what God did to get my attention. After months of battling this thing, where I'd I'd sleep 16, 18 hours a day. My eyes would jaunt us. My skin would turn yellow. And, and I had everything. I went to Mayo Clinic twice. And, and it just, just devastated my whole system. And, 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 and I, couldn't, I couldn't walk and, and, and do what I was doing and visit the, the base like I was doing. I would get so weary. I'd, I'd be out and go for an hour. And then I'd have to sleep for two hours. And it, just, uh, it was just crazy, the situation. And after months of that, finally one day I was walking across the base on a Saturday. And, and, I, and the guys would just let me out here at this spot. And I'd walk a quarter of a mile. And they'd pick me up. And a lot of times that was all I could do. And I'd end up going back and laying down on the bus or laying down in the car and sleeping for an hour or two but but I, but I was walking across when God just stuck a knife in my in my heart and I fell to my knees and this verse this passage that I've been reading God said turn ye at my reproof and I began to weep and I said I'm sorry God I've rebelled against everything 
Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't jump up and become healthy, but I began to pray and say, God, please correct me. I began to ask him that, God, please let my preacher correct me because he had pretty much stopped saying anything to me because what's the use? No need in correcting somebody that won't listen. So I went. And things, I didn't get healthy. I didn't like God say, okay, you're cured. That didn't happen. I, he was going to, I dug this hole and it was going to take a while to crawl back out of this hole. But I had begun to turn. About, I don't know, six months or whatever it was after this, we were, it was one Sunday afternoon. The weekend had been long again with the sailor ministry, and, and, uh, and I was so wiped out. I laid down, and I would do this on Sundays. Jo Beth was handling everything. It was, the load that was on her was incredible. But I, was, I would lay down, and I would sleep as many hours as I could on a Sunday afternoon just so I could go back to church Sunday night and finish up the ministry with the guys that night. She came down about 5 o'clock. We had to be there at 6. She came down about 5, and she shook me, and I, and I woke up, and I just I was so weak and so out of it that this day for the first time, I, I, this is what I remember her saying. She looked at me. I started to get out of bed. She looked at me, and she said, No, don't. You keep pushing. You're going to die. She pushed me back down to the bed, and I can remember trying to think, No, i got to get up. And, but when she's just kind of... I laid back, and, and I must have gone right back to sleep because the next thing I remember was the phone ringing. As the phone was ringing, I thought, where, where is everybody? Why aren't they answering the phone? And, 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 and then I, I picked it up, and a man on the phone said, Mr. Hooker, and I said, yes. He said, sir, I just wanted to call you. He said, your wife and your children have just been in a bad car accident. I couldn't even focus. I said, what are you talking about? I thought they were in the house. He said, sir, and he told me where they were, and he said, he said you need to get here. When I finally could focus, I, I put on my sweatpants and just a, 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 just a house coat and, and house shoes, and I took off, and I had to borrow a neighbor's car, and, and I took off to the location when I got there. I ran up to a scene where... My car, first thing I saw was my car. No ambulance, no police cars, no nothing there, but they were just about a half a, a mile and a half away from my house. But I got there and the car was just demolished. The front end had been hit head on, and I saw two of my daughters standing up against a car and, and crying, but I but they seemed to be okay. And then I looked over on the on the pavement and there was my wife and she was kneeling down over my six year old daughter, Candace. She had a cloth on her head, and I ran over to her, and when I did, I pulled that cloth back, and I saw that her little head had just been laid open, and the, the skull cap, they call it, had been peeled back. I put the cloth back down, and I, there on my knees, I just began to weep and say, God, please heal my little girl. Give me my little girl. Don't take her. As I sat there on my knees, I was just a few feet away, but there at that car, I, my two little girls were over there, and I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw one of them start to drop, and I dove for her, and I caught her and rolled her up in my arms, and 
And as I did, blood was flowing out of her nose and out of her mouth. It was our 10-year-old at the time. She was or 11, I guess. I don't remember exactly. But Brooke, our oldest daughter, Brooke, and I held her and prayed the same prayer and began to beg God, please don't let my girls. Two ambulances showed up and they whisked them the way. Joe Beth got in with one. I don't remember which one, but she went and I followed in the car to the hospital. There at the emergency room, we went through several hours of x-rays and treatment and things and I would go from back and forth from one room to the to the next there in the emergency room and after two sets of x-rays they had told us that my daughter Candace not only had this been done but but that her neck was broken they took her and they told us that Brooke had spinal fluid coming from her nose which meant the bone of her Noses pushed back into her brain. They warned us, of course, that the damage, they didn't know what damage to Candace. She may never walk again. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know, Brooke, if she'd even live. We were there for several hours and people began to flood into from the church because they made an announcement at the church about it. People began to flood into the hospital and the emergency room became full of people. And it became a big prayer meeting there and we prayed. And about four hours later, they, the doctor called us into the room and said, Sir, my wife and I said, we... We want to apologize to you. We've made some kind of error. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, the third set of x-rays show that there's not a break in your daughter's neck. Don't Two sets that show a break, and the third set shows no break. It wasn't 15 minutes or so. Joe maybe remember better. We got called back into the room again. Each time we're thinking we're going to get called back to say something terrible is going on. And... They came in and the, the person talking to us wouldn't even look up as they apologized and said, we, we don't know how this has happened, but there is no spinal fluid coming from your daughter's nose. The third set of x-rays does not show the bone protruding into the brain like it seemed to show before. Days of reconstructive surgery, days we were in the hospital, I didn't shave or bathe for days. I just stayed in the rooms there and I prayed one night and I was sitting there praying as after my daughter Brooke had gone through total reconstructive surgery. All this had been crushed and I just kept praying, God, don't let her suffer. Don't let her hurt. Please, dear Lord, you can just keep them from hurting because any daddy, you know, you don't want your little one to hurt. And, and, and as I lay in my head three o'clock in the morning on her bed, I sit in a chair with my head on her bed praying, God, don't let her hurt. A nurse comes in thinking I was asleep comes to my little girl who was all bandaged up and says to her, says, honey, I need to give you pain medication. My little girl with a muffled sound said, no, ma'am. And the lady, knowing we're Christians, said, honey, won't your parents let you take pain medication? And I never moved. And my little girl said, yes, ma'am. She said, then why won't you take it? And my little girl said, because I don't hurt. 
She never had a shot or never had a pill until she got out, got out of the hospital uh, because God put his hand on her and protected her. As I was driving away and they got out at different times, Candace had plastic surgery on her head to, to repair that and Brooke had plastic surgery and I took Brooke one day and I was driving her home from the hospital. I don't know if Candace was still in or not, but I was, we were coming home alone and she was laying up against me as we drove and she was all bandaged up and she started to cry. And I looked at her and I said, baby, it's okay, it's all over now. And she said, no, daddy, you don't understand. And I pulled to the side of the road and I looked at her and I said, baby, it's over. And she said, no, daddy, 10 years old. She said, God has spared me twice, Daddy. She said, y'all told me how God spared me at my birth. And she said, and God's not spared me again. She said, Daddy, I'm afraid God wants me to do something. She said, I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. She said, I'm afraid I won't be strong enough to do it. Ten years old. God had something for her. That's to be a missionary to Africa. But here's the truth that hit me so hard as I sat there in that car. Then I began to weep. I couldn't even leave just sitting there parking because, you see, the rest of that passage says this. It says, but you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. God said, if you'll turn, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll make known my words unto you. But he said, but you have said it not all my counsel. And with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. And can I tell you, when your children are laying on the pavement, your fear cometh as a desolation. Your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you. Listen what it says. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my, my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. God ripped my heart out and I started to think, oh God, if this had happened six months earlier, as if it happened when I was rebelling against you, God. As if it happened when I kept saying no to you, God. I'm going to do things my way and, and have things my way. And, and Lord, I was trying to pray and I was trying to walk with you. But when it came to your correction, I bristled. I rejected it. And God says, you reject my correction. You reject when I come to you. When you cry unto me, I'm not going to hear you because you have not been hearing me. And I realized if I had not turned at that correction six months earlier, 
And the reason it's hard for me to preach is because I know even right now, I might not have a daughter in Africa. I may not have her at all. In order to visit her, I might have to go to a grave in Indiana. I wouldn't have five grandsons right now. I, I realize that I might even today might still be wheeling around a 31-year-old daughter in a wheelchair. But God heard. And I'm not going to tell you that God always is going to cure them. I'm not going to say that. Here's what I'm going to tell you, though. When you're in that crisis, you better know. You better, you're going to want to know that God heard you. And they're not suffering because God didn't hear you. You're going to want to know that, look, if, 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 if Brooke had died, if, if Candace was crippled, even today, I'd want the peace in my heart of knowing God still heard me. That he hurt me. And what God does is he comes to each of us with correction. Because the Holy Spirit's our teacher. And he comes to us about our attitude. He comes to us about our spirit. He comes to us about our salvation. He comes to us about our Christian walk. He comes to us about things all the time. Are we listening? And any one of us could walk out of this door today and the whirlwind could hit us. Do we know that he heard us? Turn ye at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Do you know this morning that he'd hear you? You say, Brother Hooker, I, I'm not sure. Well, ask the Holy Spirit this morning to reveal to you, is there anything that I'm still saying no? You can't have that area of my life. No. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Father, I pray that you bless, Lord Jesus.